0: audio podcast network part of the boundless audio podcast network you might think we're down you might think we're out but like fruit flies we will rise from the smoosh to come again Welcome to whining about hystery, which is relentlessly obnoxious, like the many fruit flies that are buzzing around our faces right now. And we're going to whine about some women that you probably haven't heard of, but definitely should have.
1: That are rising from the smoosh. Rising from the smoosh. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly.
0: So, I feel like I had to completely balance out your very calming and chill intro from last week with something chaotic, insane that only made sense to us because <laughs> we've been smashing fruit flies, and we're like I, we we've killed so many. Where do they keep coming from?" And I'm like, well, like, phoenixes, they're rising from the ashes. And Kelly goes, you mean rising from the The smoosh? I'm like, I'm completely changing my intro. I had a whole song parody geared up. Nope, not anymore. Not anymore. Fuck that shit. You guys are going to have to wait for that (laughs) until, like, two more weeks. (laughs) But not the sexy smooshing. No. Like the fruit fly smooshing. Yeah. Smooshing those fruit flies.
1: (laughs) I like the dramatic pause, because <laughs> I was like, lies. "Wait, <laughs>
0: what am I trying to say here?" All right, well, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Whining About History, and hopefully, we can keep this energy going.
1: So, while well, I talk energy. about the wine,
0: cause Kelly picked the wine
1: wine that's a dragon and the state of Washington Okay so
0: Kelly Kelly held the bottle open and I'm like, up look to at me
1: the, I specifically said I like the back of this wine bottle You did not yes, you said
0: look at the wine bottle and I was like oh it's Washington and you're I'm like, like no, it's a it's dragon, a dragon. And I'm like
1: it's fucking not Kelly It's cuz so the front of the the, the front <laughs> label is the state of Washington it's the outline of the state of Washington it's actually very realistic Yeah and then the background is a dragon Yeah so we were both right (laughs) i'm like kelly you can't just like invalidate my perspective (laughs) like that so this is pacific rim it's a riesling so it says the great pacific northwest sweet riesling washington state columbia valley
0: the last place you think is going to combine like Ja- Japanese, Japanese monsters yeah. with
1: World Pacific wine. Um, so it says, this is a 2019, it says, we're obsessed with Riesling. Riesling wines range from refreshingly dry to dessert sweet, making them infinitely versatile with all foods and occasions. Washington's ideal growing conditions and mineral-driven soils are just some of the reasons why we love our home state. This wine, aromas of honeysuckle and white flowers, juicy peach and pineapple flavors why we love it this sweet style is more than just a pretty taste it's refreshingly acidic and leaves you wanting more this wine can handle spicy and flavorful foods and then it has like like tossed salad and scrambled eggs exactly it has a little dry to sweet rating and it's a medium sweet
0: baby i hear the blues are calling tossed salads and scrambled eggs the best thing about Washington it's where Frazier takes place
1: um 100 off uh wind power offset so they use wind power uh it's non-gmo gluten-free and vegan friendly
0: Ooh, it'll satisfy the most picky and entitled of your hipster friends and it says spicy heart sweet (laughs) spicy heart sweet
1: yeah because it says it it pairs well with spicy food
0: wait which who's spicy and who's sweet it depends on the day it does depend on the day Every now and then, I think you're spicy and I'm sweet. I'm so spicy. Everyone has burning asshole right now.
1: (laughs) Strap in and strap on, apparently. Well, that's Emily. Yeah, You're just on the receiving end. Yep.
0: Yep. I have strapped in and strapped on. Get ready for my spicy rod. What? No, <laughs> <laughs> shit. Oh God, this is why I don't want anyone I actually know to listen to this. If you know me in real life, you stop that right now. <laughs> Turn you it knock, off. You knock that shit off this goddamn second. This is a this is a version of me you're not supposed <laughs> to be aware of.
1: Emily's <laughs> not even my real name. <laughs> Our names are not Emily and Kelly. Nope. They're nope. Kelly and Emily. <laughs> Fuck you, that mighty was funny. and powerful gods! Oh, that was amazing, Tulio <laughs> and Miguel, Miguel both. and Tulio, both is good. Both <laughs> good. We're the like stars. Okay. are not in position for this trivia. <laughs> stars, stars can't do, do it. it. Not Come today. today. <laughs> <laughs> if you've never seen the movie The Road to El Dorado, the animated movie, please go watch it. God, it I is think is I so, someone someone
0: texted me where the like the the both both is good gift. I was like, you have no idea how many fucking cool points you just earned. They're like, I haven't actually even seen the movie. I'm like, what is wrong with you lost all those points (laughs) and then some. Well, here's the thing I have it on DVD. It's fine because I can change them, I can fix
1: them. I have it on DVD (laughs) if you
0: need to borrow it. Yeah. Here's the thing, though they obviously recognize the inherent amazingness. Like it's just something you feel like faith in God. Right? You see the gifts and you're like like this, religion. This is great. You just feel it. <laughs> the spirit of the Lord. <laughs> it possesses you when you rise from the smush. <laughs>
1: God damn it. Perfect- what are we doing again? <laughs> We're doing a podcast. What is this
0: podcast. Are we recording this? Why?
1: It's are in uh, road <laughs> to El Dorado. Yeah. are we doing this? Oh. Uh, that
0: was such a fun Halloween. I was Kelly, saying we need to bring that. Kelly back. was Miguel. I was Tulio, And Drew, our our like friend of the podcast who we always talk about, was Chell. Chell. Yeah. Our
1: man Chell. He was our man Chell.
0: Yep.
1: All right. Um. W- we have to cheers to something don't we? <laughs> Rising from the smush. Cheers to rising from the smush. That feels like a constant thing we're doing for the last like
0: five years. Cheers. Cheers.
1: Mm. I can actually taste like sometimes when wines say something like the last one that was like cherry pie. I'm like bullshit. (laughs) This one said pineapple and I can actually taste the pineapple. It actually
0: kind of reminds me of like lychee fruit. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's really
1: good. Like oh, my not, God. It's not overly sweet like some Rieslings can be, but it's not yeah. too dry. It, I I agree with their medium sweet.
0: It's kind of almost got that. It's not carbonated, but it's kind of got that carbonated
1: bite. Right. When I, you mean, first when I sip opened it. it, it had like that like wine smoke yeah. coming out of it. <laughs> the wine I don't smoke. know what it's like. I don't know what it actually is. <laughs> That's what it looked like. The wine vapors. The wine vapors. I've got a serious of vapors. case of the wine vapors.
0: <laughs> I do declare. God damn. But no, yeah, that instant kind of That's like a good bite. Feel. But then, yeah, it mellows out. So I'm the bite. And then Kelly's the part that just like lays on your tongue and is like, yeah, I'm here and you love it. Yeah.
1: Exactly. What's up?
0: So, Kelly. You get to go first I do get today. to go first. Thank God. Excited. I was like, wait, do I have to go first? No, no, no. no I'm not going to. I'm covering a to. very
1: intense person.
0: Okay, good. My, mine is more upbeat. It, like, less intense.
1: Mine's not. Like,
0: I, I, you know, I went pretty deep into a, the HIV and AIDS crisis last week, so I decided to do something a little on the lighter side, a little palate cleanser, if you will. Because while these, you know, really hard stories are very important to talk about, no, it's balance. It's a thing. I play. went down a hole
1: this year. <laughs> well,
0: time. Kelly, take us down. I'm strapped in strapped on, so take us down your hole. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, on that note. <laughs> Hi. By the
0: way, didn't you know we have a Patreon? You can pay for this quality <laughs> comedic entertainment. <laughs>
1: yeah, we'll have to do another video episode soon. God damn it. I need to be, I need to be drunk for that. <laughs> so I'm covering Marie Colvin.
0: All right.
1: Who I don't think I've covered yet.
0: I don't think you have, but that sounds a little familiar, but maybe I'm just making it up.
1: I don't know. Maybe I have covered her before and we're both just completely forgetting.
0: That'll be super funny. If like like and we're gonna be too far into reverse course, you're gonna have to just finish.
1: I mean I made a <laughs> Yeah, I am. <laughs> I made a list. Let me let me search. Colvin.
0: Marie Colvin. Maybe I'm thinking like Macaulay Colkin.
1: I covered Claudette Colvin.
0: That might be what I, I love. No, you
1: covered Cla- Claudette Colvin. No, I didn't. She yeah, was the no, sculptor. I, it is on my list that you covered her. On the Shit, same the, episode, I covered Alice Coachman. Oh, Co- you're Alice right. Coachman.
0: You're right. I did cover Claudette Colvin. Who's the. Who's the sculptor you covered? Which sculptor? It was really early on. <sighs> she worked with Rodan and you kept calling him Rodan. <laughs> I was like, I don't think that's right. No, it's... but I don't know enough to correct. We're so early. I don't want to correct well, it's, you.
1: It's because my father-in-law's gamer name. Uh, I think you're thinking of Camille Claudel.
0: That's who I'm thinking of. Thank you. I'm like, it's a, like a sweet ass double C name. Yeah.
1: Anyways, back to Marie Colvin. <laughs> now that we figured out why Colvin sounds familiar, how yeah. well, um, strong C names in this podcast and kitties and kitties. Meow. <laughs> and I was like, okay, we which, both one, like, of which both. one of us is going to do it? Which one of us is going to do it? Both is both good. Is good. <laughs> so Marie Colvin was born in Astoria, Queens, New York. She grew up in East Norwich, which is on Long Island. Her father was William Colvin, and he was a Marine Corps veteran of World War II and an English teacher. Aww. In the
0: public like, school system. Like uh, Tom Hanks from Saving Private Ryan. Mm-hmm. He was a
1: teacher. Yep. Her mother, Rosemary, was a high school guidance counselor, also in the school system. Awesome. So yay. Um, she would have two brothers, and or she had two brothers and two sisters. She would graduate from Oyster Bay High School, um, uh, part of which she would spend her, uh, junior year abroad in Brazil on an exchange program, which sounds kind of fun.
0: Oh shit. I, Oyster Bay, I think was a pretty she, area too. Cause isn't, didn't Teddy Roosevelt have like a summer home out there? Fuck if I know. I don't know. It
1: just sounds really familiar. It does. It's or trying, maybe. It also sounds she, Or maybe
0: that's where, um, uh, Typhoid Mary was like working in oyster bay
1: i mean there is the theodore roosevelt memorial park in oyster bay so probably yeah i think you're right they call it a hamlet yeah look at us like
0: look at us like recalling historical facts oh my god we're like we have a history podcast it's almost like we've been doing this for three years and have you know gotten a contact intelligence
1: off of all of our stories right so she would go on to attend Yale University. Very she-she. Um, and she would major in anthropology. During her time at Yale, though, she would take a course with Pulitzer Prize-winning writer John Hersey, which is cool. I want to take a course with a Pulitzer Prize-winning author. I super
0: don't because I'm just going to sit there feeling as inadequate as I've I ever felt it, in it my life. It depends on
1: like what the course was. Yeah. Um. Anyways, she would, after that... Taking that course, she would start writing for the Yale Daily News and would, according to her mother, that's kind of when she decided to become a journalist. She would, however, finish her bachelor's degree in anthropology before, like, completely changing careers. Yeah. She's a um, finisher. <laughs> and during her time at Yale, she was known for her strong personality and quickly quickly established herself as a quote-unquote noisemaker on campus. Mmm. So she would work briefly for the labor union in New York um before actually jumping into being a, a full-fledged journalist with the United Press International or the UPI um and that would it would only take her about a year after graduating from Yale to really like get into that profession which is pretty
0: good I would say. Um yeah, as someone who's had like three different
1: careers since I graduated right. from college, good for her. Yeah. She would work for UPI, she started in Trenton, and then moved to New York City, and then Washington, all with the same um, paper. Jesus. And then um, she was appointed as the Paris Bureau Manager for UPI, and then would move to the Sunday Times, which is a huge newspaper. Dang. A year after she joined the Sunday Times, she became the newspaper's Middle East correspondent. So she would go to the Middle East. Oh, God. Um, And then just the general foreign affairs correspondent. Um, In 1986, she was the first person to interview the Libyan leader. I'm going to butcher this name and I'm so sorry. Uh, Muammar Gaddafi. Oh, yeah. Yep. The Libyan leader, yep, and this was after Operation El Dorado Canyon, not the good El Dorado. Oh my God, that's spooky, though, right? I know, right? Um, so Gaddafi in this interview, like I said, this was, she was the first person, like outside of like Libya, I don't even think he talked to Libyan journalists, but like she was the first international person to like speak to him, and he would say um, that he felt at home when the U.S. planes bombed Tripoli in April and that he had helped rescue his wife and children while the house was coming down around him. He would also state that reconciliation between Libya and the United States was impossible as long as as Ronald Reagan was in the White House. Quote, I have nothing to say to him because he is mad, he is foolish, and he is an Israeli dog. That's what he said about Ronald Reagan. Okay, I mean...
0: I was just going after Reagan in my last episode. I'm not saying he was a good guy, but like, let's not bomb each other over it. We were also kind of pissed off.
1: Exactly. And I'm
0: still pissed off at him because he's, like, lauded as the Republican Jesus. And I'm like, nope, nope, shut that shit down. He sucked.
1: She would also make an extended appearance on the Channel 4 discussion program that was called After Dark that a lot of, like, journalists and war correspondents would appear on. I didn't recognize any of the other names, but... I'm also not super up on 1980s war journalism. She's
0: not a journalism fan. I know everyone is truly shocked at this moment. You thought you knew Kelly, but you didn't because her name is actually Emily. Emily.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So uh, as I said, she clearly specialized in the Middle East and she kind of went back to her roots and she would cover conflicts in Chechnya, Serbia, Sierra Leone, Zimbabwe, Sri Lanka and East Timor. Look at me actually being able to pronounce Middle Eastern countries. I So I'm really
0: proud of you. Also, like you're listing these names. I'm like, yeah. And there was like
1: nothing going on.
0: No. Che- at all during che- these Yeah, definitely. No, no. It's super, super chill. Well, and honestly, chill. there are
1: people in the United States that are going to hear these countries and be like, wait, what? Yeah. There were during the 90s, which is when I was growing up, mm-hmm. which means I at the time, didn't know about a lot about yeah. them, but there were, like, constant Middle Eastern wars. It was not good. I, and we were involved in most of them, at least a little bit. Well, we were alive uh, either...
0: We were alive during De- Desert Storm, weren't we? Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Because it was, like, 90s. 90... It was, like,
0: very early 90s. Five. Shit. I don't...
1: Well, Desert Storm 1 or 2. Well, they didn't call it Desert Storm 2. <laughs> I mean, they kind of did, but not really. Um... So Desert Storm was January 1991 to February 1991, technically. Okay, yeah. Desert Shield, which is what kind of started it, was August 1990 to January 1991.
0: Okay, because depending on the exact day in February, I was alive, you were not. February
1: 28th.
0: (gasps) It ended right after I was born. They knew I was coming. I brought temporary
1: and unsustainable peace to the world. I mean, but let's be honest, desert, the Gulf War, because that's what they're saying that the Gulf War started in August in nineteen ninety and ended in February nineteen ninety one. But let's be honest, that's not true. Yeah, we were there for far longer than that.
0: Yeah, I mean, okay. I think this is a part of like childhood and growing up. I did not become fully aware of world politics and issues Mm. that were not historical until September eleventh.
1: Yeah, that's which when, was like fifth grade for us.
0: That that's when it the world felt like it kind of cracked open,
1: you know? Yeah, and people well, and even like schools and stuff were like, "Oh, maybe we should start looking outside the US."
0: Yeah, I was I was very much learning things from a western and eurocentric point of view. Like we learned about ancient Egyptians, there may have been some chat about Mesopotamia at some point, like but really it was leaks. Yeah, yeah. But other but it was than like that the
1: ancient civilization. Exactly.
0: We I was not learning about the Anything Middle East. Modern. I was not learning about Asia even. I wasn't learning about well, a and lot I know of know for shit. me
1: Yeah, that kind of learning didn't happen until high school. And even then mm-hmm. you were broken down. You either got the Middle East or you either got Africa or Asia. Yeah. Or the Middle East.
0: Well, the only reason I learned about, like, the... So
1: you only got... I hated that because you only got part of it. It wasn't like you took one class, then the next semester you took the other. No, you only got one. So I only got Africa, which is fine. I loved learning about it, but I'm like, I wanted all of it. Yeah.
0: Like, take out European history. I don't give a shit. Well, here's the other thing. I feel like we should learn about all of it because it's yeah, all so deeply interconnected.
1: There needs to be a lot more history taught.
0: But, like, the only reason I learned anything about Russia was because the Fox movie Anastasia came yeah. out. And I was like, wait, I'm sorry. Let me learn of all of this stuff. Yeah,
1: And the soundtrack slaps. Get me on that. And I read so
0: many books.
1: Right. Oh, yeah. So in 1999 in East Timor... um, Marie was credited with saving the lives of 1,500 women and children. Oh, my God. Because she was in a compound with them besieged by the Indonesian-backed forces. She refused to abandon them and stayed uh, with a small United Nations force and herself reporting for her newspaper and on television. They would eventually be evacuated four days later. Marie. She would win the International Women's Media Foundation Award for Courage in Journalism. Um, partially for that, but also for other coverage in Kosovo and Chechnya. She would write and produce documentaries, including Arafat, Beyond the Myth, for the BBC. Um, she was also featured in a 2005 documentary film called Bearing Witness, which is about um, like war reporters in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2001, she would be struck by a blast from a Sri Lankan uh, army rocket propelled grenade.
0: Oh my god.
1: Yep. She was crossing the Tamil, uh, Tamil Tigers controlled area, which was a government controlled area, and she still got hit by an RPG. She would lose an eye and would thereafter be known for wearing a black eye patch over the eye she lost. Like, so she has a very distinctive look. Okay.
0: That's kind of fucking badass, oh, no. though. Like,
1: Google, just Here. Google images Marie Colvin. C-O-L-D. she looks yeah, like she looks like a Bond badass.
0: spy it's yeah. great she looks she looks like an ex like special ops gal who's like i'm getting too old to be right. saving the world like this all the fucking time um this but whole, she can definitely exactly, get it anytime
1: she wants this whole incident was very i don't know like the right word but was very like contentious because she said that when she was attacked she was calling out journalists journalists which means like Hey don't attack me I'm part of the media like I'm not an aggressive exactly. force I'm not going to
0: fuck with you. Um uh,
1: but that her attacker knew what he was doing and attacked her anyways. Yeah. She was 45 45- um, at the time and sustained serious injuries, but she still managed to write a 3000 word article in time to meet her deadline to go to paper.
0: Jesus fucking Christ. Are you serious? Right.
1: After getting injured, she walked over 30 miles through the Vani jungle with her guides to evade the government, more government troops. And she reported that human, uh, she would report on the humanitarian disaster in the Tamal or Tamil region. Including the government blockade for food and medical supplies, as well as prevention for foreign journalists' access in the area for six years. Oh my God! She—it kind as, of does
0: sound like they knew what they right. were doing. Like,
1: as a result of this, she would suffer post-traumatic stress and would eventually require hospitalization from her injuries.
0: I a hundred percent believe that. Right. That's that. That would be very traumatic. And also, I may, maybe this is naive of me like I feel like just the fact I was a journalist or would be able to say I'm a journalist I I don't know if that would give me any sense of safety Mm. like I guess if I have nothing else to defend myself with I'd be like hey I'm a journalist don't fuck with me you know what I mean yeah but that I don't know that just that that moment feels very helpless because well, all I think she that's probably can why say she was yelling is cuz she was like I'm a journalist please don't exactly. like I'm not I'm not here to hurt you
1: I'm not here to hurt anyone I'm and just here to show what's going on. And it
0: didn't matter, though. But I, think
1: the, I think the big thing was the reason she was shouting journalists is because it was from a government-controlled force. Mm-hmm. So you'd think, like, they would have a big reason to, like, not hurt the journalists. Yeah, especially, oh, my God. So she would also become a witness and an intermediary force during the final days of the war in Sri Lanka, and she would report on war crimes against the Tamils that were committed during this final phase of this war. Um. So, several days after she lost her eye, the Sri Lankan government said that it would allow foreign journalists to travel in rebel-held zones um, and stated that, quote, journalists can go. We have not debarred them, but they must be fully aware of and accept the risk of their lives. So, basically, that that was their response to her getting injured yeah, in the war zone. Yeah, it's
0: like, not really our fucking problem. Even though it kind of was. Anyways.
1: Jeez. She would... Even after she got injured, she would continuously um, note the importance of shining light on what she called humanitar- humanity in extremes pushed to the unendurable. She would state, my job is to bear witness. I have never been interested in knowing what makes or what what make of plane has just bombed a village or whether the artillery that fired at it was 120 or 155. She's like, I don't care. But like yeah, about, I don't these care piddly about the details. I care about the people that are being injured. Yeah.
0: Which honestly is a fact of a lot of these stories that gets lost. Right. I so I was talking with someone and they were kind of bitching about war journalists because they're like, why would you just go there and watch what's happening? Like do something.
1: They're um, doing what they can. Well,
0: here's the thing that completely negates the fact that bearing witness is a very important role in conflict because there are the people engaging in the conflict and then there are the people who are interpreting the conflict and reporting on the parts that the people engaging in the conflict don't kind of want you to know about and it's (laughs)
1: not saying that they're not doing anything like her staying with those women and children in that barricade like she could have left yeah she she could have just been like fuck this shit well and here's the other thing a lot
0: of journalists do a lot of things in war zones and here's here's the other thing um think about who journalists really piss off like dictators and yeah. shitty rulers it's and things the people like that. Who don't
1: want you to know the crimes they're it's committing. It's
0: because they're exposing the truth. That's why you have these these journalists abducted and murdered and oh, yeah. in, a, in a very public way because they're trying to. They don't want the truth to get out they're there. Like, they don't want do anyone do bearing this. witness. Exactly. And I think that in of itself is a testament to how important it is to report what is happening right like I mean we're seeing it now with Ukraine it's like we're getting these reports about these horrific massacres and war crimes and Russia's like we didn't fucking do that it's like we all know you're lying you assholes are you fucking like, kidding we've me? all seen the video well and that's why it's important though you know yeah. especially oh, it
1: definitely is
0: especially I was gonna say especially now but the truth has always been kind of this unfortunately flexible thing that people are able to meld to what they want but that is why it's important because you can have someone who was literally there who lost their fucking eye while they were there saying actually this is how it went down tell me I'm wrong you motherfucker
1: (laughs) tell me I'm wrong about what happened to me yeah yeah fuck you so in February 2012 Marie would pass cross back into Syria. This is height of the Syrian war. Oh, God. She would cross into Syria on a motocross motorcycle, ignoring the Syrian government's attempt to prevent foreign journalists from entering Syria to cover the Syrian civil war without permission. Shocking Yeah.
0: Wonder why. Yeah, they don't want anyone to know what's going on. Seriously, if someone doesn't want you to know what's going on, you super need to know what's going on. And again, that's why journalists who are willing and able to go into these dangerous areas of conflict are so important.
1: So for Marie, the facts were clear. A murderous dictator was bombarding a city that had no food, no power, and no medical supplies. NATO and the United Nations were standing by doing nothing. And in a nearby village... Oh, uh, okay. So that that's what it says. In a nearby village, hours before they would go back to the city, um her, Marie and her friend, god what I have her his last name. I eventually say his first name, but I don't know where. Conroy, I'm going to call him Conroy. That's a good name. So he is a photographer that is in um that is with her covering this conflict, okay? Mm-hmm. So they're in a village nearby the city that they're going to go into to cover. Um, And basically Conroy is watching Marie wander around trying to get signal to send her story in to the next day paper with a a satellite phone. Yeah. Um, So she's walking around looking for a signal. Right. Okay. When she finally got signals, she says, why is the world not here to her assistant in London? That question posed by Marie so many times before in East Timor, Libya, Kosovo, Chechnya, Iran, Iraq, Sri Lanka was the continuing theme of her life. The next war I covered, she, she had written way back in 2001. I'll be more awed than ever by the quiet bravery of the civilians who endure far more than I ever will.
0: Well, because you're right. She can go home. Exactly. Like, like, obviously, she's. I don't want to just discount the danger that she's putting herself in. But this is not her life. She's able to enter experience right. and, like, fingers crossed, leave. This isn't coming to her front door and just destroying yep. her life.
1: Yeah. So Syria at this time was under al-Assad control. And al-Assad was breaking all the rules of war. In Libya in 2011, um, Colvin and Conroy had spent months sleeping together on in a besieged city called Mis- Misrata. They would live on the war zone diet, which was Pringles, tuna, granola bars, and water. That sounds disgusting. It sounds like you just college. Put the t- you put the tuna on the Pringles and then granola bars are breakfast. Well, because you, know, you got the protein,
0: you got your carbs, you got your like salts and your fats. And yeah, you, the, the granola right. bars.
1: They would rely on each other for survival. And it keeps. And, yeah, exactly. That's the important thing. It that, all keeps. That's what matters. Exactly. Yeah. Relying on each other for survival, their arena was the closed world of war. One room concrete safe houses with cheap... Baccara carpets and diesel stoves in the middle. Mint tea offered by the Free Syrian Army. This is what they're living on.
0: Yeah.
1: This is a chick that grew like went to school in Oyster exactly. Bay, went to
0: Yale, and she's choosing because it, she knows it's important to to not look away from these things.
1: Right. So Marie would email when she one of the, her emails to her boss while she was in Syria said, "Can't talk about the way into the city. It is an artery." And I promise to reveal no details. Marie um, and Paul, his name was Paul, oh, I love Paul that Conroy, um, had made their f- first trip to, into homes. So that was the city that they're covering mm-hmm. in Syria. They had arrived on a late Thursday night. It was about thirty-six hours away from press deadline for Marie, and she knew that the desk in London, which is where she was currently working out of, would soon be bonkers trying to meet that deadline. Mm-hmm. Okay,
0: okay, I'm, I'm sorry. I think I've been in a stressful work situation. Can you imagine like being in a literal war zone and being like, I have a deadline. Like I'm sure I have I to find a care, signal yeah. to send my story back God to damn London. It. Like, that, right? Like I don't know. Just the fact like that's a job thing. I'm like, what? Right? What? No, that's a nightmare. Like I don't know. I've had clients throw a fit if I didn't like. email them
1: back within 10 minutes can you imagine this shit so the first time that she had gone to homes which was about two days before so we're gonna go back in time and then forward in time so the, the first time she had gone into homes she had walked into the apartment building uh which was two grimy rooms set up as a temporary media center the top floor had been sheared off by rockets Many had thought the attack had been deliberate because it was a media center. The smell of a, a death had assaulted Marie as mutilated bodies were rushed out to a makeshift clinic oh blocks God. away. She had opened an that morning. She had opened an email to her editor, and there wasn't a hint of panic or apprehension in her exuberant tone. "Quote: No other Brits here have have heard that Spencer and Chulove of Toriograph, which was privatized nickname for the Telegraph." And Guardian trying to make it here, but so far we have leapfrogged ahead of them. Heavy shelling this morning. Jesus. Holmes, Colvin wrote a few hours later. So this is modern times, I guess. Like Okay, so we're jumping ahead. Yep. Or
0: this to is, the
1: to the present of present your of story. Present of my story, yep. Okay. Holmes, Colvin wrote, The symbol of revolt, a ghost town, echoing with the sound of shelling and crack of sniper fire. The odd car careening down a street at speed. Hope to get to a conference hall basement where 300 women and children living in the cold and dark candles. One baby born this week without medical care. Little food. This
0: actually is is very reminiscent of the reports and video we've been getting from Ukraine. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. In a a field clinic, she noted a few days prior, uh, plasma bags were suspended from wooden coat hangers. The only doctor available was a veterinarian. Mm. So in... Um, as, As she made her way back into homes, like I said, this is current day, Marie moved slowly, crouching down in a four and a half foot drainage tunnel. 56 years old, she wore her signature, a black eye patch over her left eye. 20 minutes or so later, the sound of an approaching motorcycle made her and Paul Conroy flatten themselves against the wall. Paul could see injured Syrians strapped to the backs of the vehicles that were driving by. He worried about Marie's vision and her balance. She had recently recovered from a back surgery. Oh, my God. Of all the trips we had ever done together, this one was complete insanity, Paul said. The journey had begun that morning in a muddy field where a concrete slab was the only marker of the entrance to the tunnel. They had been taken through orchards by former military officers fighting against al-Assad. They had said, we move when it's dark. After that, just hand signals. No noise until we are in the tunnels. The night that they were moving through was cold. The sky was lit with hundreds of rockets. Once they got inside homes, 28,000 people were surrounded by... So inside homes, I guess not when they got in. 28,000 people were surrounded by the troops. Like not... Obviously, it was like the city was surrounded by troops. There was 28,000 people left inside the city. God. Food supplies and power had been cut off. Foreign reporters had been banned. Obviously, that's why Marie is sneaking in. Yeah. Marie had learned that the army was under orders to kill journalists. They had two options, she thought. Um, They could race across the highway swept by floodlights or crawl through this drainage tunnel, obviously. We know which one she picked. Paul, I don't like this, she had said. Paul and Marie were an unlikely pair. They weren't like together together. Yeah. But they were they had been paired quite often for assignments. Paul was a decade younger than Marie, a natural comedian, um, and was a working class man from Liverpool. He had high he had sharp cheekbones and a high brow and would remind people of William Defoe. Colvin. You mean w- Willem Defoe? Willem Defoe, okay. sorry, yeah. Um Colvin, while she had been raised by public school teachers, Still had the air of an aristocrat about her. Mm -hmm. Her nails were a perfect scarlet and her double strand of pearls was a gift from Yazar Arafat. Okay, can I just say it blows
0: my mind that, like, her nails are done and she's wearing pearls. Oh, fuck, I'm yeah. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I, excuse yeah. me while I look at my, di- like, hor- horrific nails because I'm like, oh, no, they just get chipped so
1: easily. I literally like, just it. built down, <laughs> like, bit down my nail, to one of my nails today because it was
0: bothering me. She's like, hey, just because you're in a war zone doesn't mean you can't right. feel confident at work.
1: <laughs> Normally in a war zone, Marie would wear a brown jacket with TV and large letters and silver gaffer tape on the back. Not this time. No, because that was yeah, the no, target. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she heard that they were killing journalists. So yeah. this time, because she was well aware that she was going to be a target for all Assad soldiers, she wore a simple bra- black Prada nylon quilted coat as fl- camouflage. Just remember, they're traveling at night. Right. I still fucking love her. Prada. Like. <laughs> and I when like, I read that, I was like, oh, my God. Like,
0: black clothes are black
1: clothes. But I love she's like Prada, bitches. And she's wearing yeah. a fucking strand of pearls. Okay, anyways. Um, I love her. When they had packed for this trip through the tunnel and beyond, they learned that there would be no space for them to carry flak jackets, helmets, or video equipment. So basically, Paul had his camera, and Marie mm-hmm. had Prada. <laughs> um, Paul was a train had previously been trained as an artillery officer in the British Ar- Army. So as they were traveling, he counted the rockets coming down. He clocked about forty five explosions in a minute. Oh my god. He said, he said to Marie, every bone in my body is telling me not to do this. Marie listened to him carefully, her head cocked to one side. She said, those are your concerns. I'm going in no matter what. I'm the reporter. You're the photographer. If you want, you can stay here. This is the first time they had ever had an argument while on assignment. Yeah, where they had, like, disagreed about how to move forward. And all Paul said was, you know I'll never leave you. So I'll just take that in for a moment. As i spill everywhere okay i feel like
0: i'm getting very anxious <laughs> and i do not
1: like this surrounded, i hate all of it once they so again this is pre-tunnel i know i keep switching between time frames uh-huh. but surrounded by the members of the free syrian army marie had gathered her essentials for the trip satellite phone, a battered laptop, la Perla briefs, and her lucky copy of Martha Gellhorn's The Face of War, which I had already I covered just... Martha Gellhorn. Okay, when you were talking about this, I'm like she's like Martha
0: Gellhorn. Cause Martha Gellhorn yep. snuck her way onto a ship yeah. to cover D-Day and then ended up like helping a bunch of wounded soldiers yeah. on the beaches of Normandy because
1: she wasn't just she wasn't gonna sit around. Exactly. So Martha's um this oh book God. The Face of War were uh Martha's essays detailing wars um, and many of them waged prior to her even being uh Marie even being born, yeah. Because, like, we
0: talked about, she covered D Day World War II, <laughs> exactly.
1: So, as Marie came back through the tunnel and into, she went to that same building that mm-hmm. had like the little, like, like the media set up for the media, even though it wasn't really one of the Syrian activists welcomed her back, hey Marie, welcome back. He said, oh. He was huddled on the floor of the media center. All other reporters had left. As always, when she was in a Muslim country, the first thing Marie did was take her shoes off and leave them in the hallway. Which I'm like, way to be like super like nice and supportive and like aware of the culture you're in. Oh my God. Right? (laughs) Okay, if someone thinks that being
0: culturally sensitive or respectful is too much of a hassle, I'm just going to be like... This person's
1: doing it in a fucking war zone. This gal with one fucking eye <laughs> in a just, war zone. Who just, cli- who just climbed through a fucking, like, drainage tunnel. She took her shoes off, so go
0: fuck yourself. Right. <laughs>
1: In this war in Syria, Marie found herself in kind of an uncharted arena. However, at least for war reporters, this was the first time she had been part of a YouTube war. She what? and Paul, she and Paul watched as the Syrian actri- activists would upload videos of the Battle of Homes. So, like, this is the oh. first time she had been in a war that like people were actually using media to show what was going like, on yeah, outside social media. of reporters. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, because this is 2012. Uh, yeah. Oh, God. Um, Marie said, quote, I am in a place where the locals are uploading videos and etc. So I think Internet security is pretty much out the window. (laughs) That's what she said to her editor. She's like, yeah, the Internet's probably not secure, but whatever. Yeah, like we're going to do what we're going to do. At 11.08 p.m., she emailed Richard Flay, who is the current man in her life. My darling, I have come back to Baba Amar the besieged neighborhood of Holmes, and am now freezing in my hovel with no windows. I just thought I cannot cover the modern-day Strabenica from the suburbs. You, you would have laughed. I had to climb over two stone walls tonight and had trouble with the second, which was six feet tall. So a rebel made a cat's cradle of his two hands and said, step here and I will give you a lift. Except he thought I was much heavier than I am, so when he lifted, quote-unquote, my foot, he launched me right over the wall and I landed headfirst in the mud. I will do one more week here and then leave. Every day is a horror. I think of you all the time and I miss you.
0: Can you imagine having a partner who's doing this and like sending you emails, just being like, yeah, this is a fucking nightmare. But then also talking about like, yeah, he accidentally like threw me over the wall way too hard (laughs) and I landed in the mud.
1: You know how it is. Miss you. (laughs) Yeah, love you. Miss you. Sadly, Marie would die later that day. No! She would die alongside photojournalist Remy Ochlik, and an autopsy conducted later by the Damascus by the Syrian government would conclude that she was killed by an an IED filled with nails. Oh, fuck! The Syrian government claims that the explosive device was planted by terrorists while fleeing an unofficial media building which was being shelled by the Syrian army. This account was rejected by Paul. He's, he Obviously, he was with Marie and and, Osh, he, he and he survived. Okay. Paul recalls that Marie and Oshlik were packing their gear when Syrian artillery fire hit the media center. So oh he's saying God. that the government killed them.
0: So the government's saying that the enemies killed them with yeah, an they, IED. They were like, oh,
1: the terrorists planted it, and we, we were just counterattacking, but it was the terrorist bomb that killed them. And Paul's like, no. Again, the importance of bearing witness... And p- yeah, Paul is not the only person to refute the government's version of the story. Journalist Jean-Paul or Jean-Pierre Perrin and other journalists reported that the building had been targeted by the Syrian army um because they were using satellite phones. Oh my god. Um uh, so on so on the evening that that they died, the two journalists died. Pe- the people of Holmes mourned in the streets in honor of them. Tributes were paid to Marie across the media industry and the political world following her death.
0: Oh my God.
1: Marie's personal possessions would come home with her because her, her body was recovered and sent home, which yeah. is great. Um, this included a backpack containing basic supplies and um, a 387 page manuscript by her lifelong friend Gerald Weaver uh. that he, she, she was like reading in her free time. Oh my God.
0: In her free time, she's reading her friend's manuscript. Yeah, are you kidding me? Jesus. Um, I hope it was and, good. <laughs>
1: well, after after she died, uh, Marie's sister Kathleen, um, along with Sean Ryan, who was an who was a foreign editor of the Sunday Times, actually helped get that book published. Aww. Um, Marie's funeral would take place in Oyster Bay, New York, on March twelfth, two thousand twelve. In service was about 300 mourners including those who had followed dispatches friends and family She was cremated and half of her ashes were scattered off of Long Island and the other half in the River Thames near near her home in London because oh, her la- her last that's where she was working yep. Oh that's so sweet In July 2016, Kat Colvin, her sister, filed a civil action against the government of the Syrian Arab Republic.
0: Oh, damn right she did. She's going to sue the whole goddamn country.
1: She sued them for extrajudicial killing, claiming she had obtained proof that the Syrian government had directly ordered Marie's targeted assassination. In April 2018, the accusations were revealed on court papers filed by her family, In January 2019, an American court ruled that the Syrian government was liable for Marie's death and ordered that they pay $300 million in punitive damages. The judgment stated that Marie was specifically targeted because of her profession for the purpose of silencing those reporting on the growing opposition movement in the country. The murder of journalists acting in their professional capacity could have a chilling effect on reporting such events worldwide targeted murder of an american citizen whose courage or whose courageous work was not only important but vital to our understanding of war zones and of wars in general is outrageous and therefore a punitive damage was awarded that multiplies the impact of the responsible state is warranted So basically like you're done fucked up
0: well and and just this whole idea so you, you know how earlier i was saying like Maybe I'm naive, but the whole idea of saying I'm a journalist and that meaning something in a war zone—I'm like, "Mm, I—I would feel incredibly vulnerable. But I'm glad it's against the, you know, state. Well, it's against the like what the rules of war. Yeah, you know, it's a war crime. And sometimes I think of the whole idea of a war crime. I'm like, the whole thing is just a goddamn nightmare. Like, what, what? what does it even mean to say something's a war crime, but it does hold people accountable. Right. You know, you, you can go after them then because well, if you're like, just like, I don't know well, war sucks. Everyone gets to like do what a they difference, want
1: because there's, there's war crimes and then there's also like the next step up, which is like crimes against humanity. Yeah. Which is genocide would be a
0: crime against humanity. But but you know what I mean? I don't know the idea
1: of a, a war crime. I'm like, the oh, whole thing is kind of
0: a fucking crime, isn't it? Like, right. it's a, it's a whole nightmare.
1: But yeah, but... It's, it's the, in the situation you are in, we're still holding you accountable for this crime. Exactly, exactly. Where it's like, that was, like, even in war,
0: that was super fucked right. up.
1: So, in 2018, there was a film made based on Marie's life. Wait, called- did,
0: did the Syrian government ever pay the $300 million? I wasn't able to find it. I, Probably I, I highly not. doubt it. I mean, I've, at that point, I feel like it's almost a ceremonial, you know. It's, ge- a, it's a, yeah, they fucked win, up. Exactly. Where it's like everyone's acknowledging, yeah, they fucking murdered her. So- and we're not going to deny, exactly. like, we're acknowledging that truth. Yeah,
1: like, America's coming out and being like, no, the government murdered her. It, yeah, It wasn't the the rebels or whatever. That being
0: said, I don't think it's super hard for the American government to say a foreign government murdered an American citizen. and it's no. not like they have to admit to their own fault. So. I mean, I guess it
1: depends on what side of the, like, who we were backing in the war. Yeah. Because as much as people would say we probably weren't involved, I am I can guarantee you we were. I mean, we had a... <laughs> We're involved in everything. We had a side. Um, I feel like we
0: have a little side in everything. Exactly.
1: In 2018, like I said, a film was made called A Private War, which I actually really want to see. We should watch that sometime.
0: I'm going to bitch cry.
1: Right. You know I am. It was written or it was directed by Matthew Heineman and written by Arash Amel and starring Rosamund Pike as Marie. Um, it was based on the 2012 article, Marie Colvin's Private War, which is a uh, which appeared in Vanity Fair magazine. And it was one of my sources. Uh, it's really good. You should read it. OK. Um I'm not saying you necessarily, but, like, in general. The royal you. <laughs> a good chunk of my story was based on that. So, uh, while well, while, while being interviewed in 2021, Chris Torreira, who had wrote the film Batman vs. Super, Superman Dawn of Justice, stated that the, the arc for Lois Lane in his film was inspired by Marie.
0: Oh, too bad that movie didn't do that. I didn't watch right. it. Yeah, um, I feel like a lot of people did it.
1: <laughs> Marie won various awards both, um, while she was alive as I mentioned. So she won the Journalist of the Year Award for the Foreign Press Association, the Courage in Journalism International Women's Media Foundation Award. I've I mentioned that one. Foreign Reporter of the Year twice. The Anna, oh my gosh, the Anna Politka Skaleva Award.
0: Oh, Those Eastern which, European um, names will get you every fucking time.
1: Which is called the Raw in War Award because it's Reach All Women in War. Oh. Um and then I lied. She won Foreign Reporter of the Year three times because she won it the year she died, and then in two thousand one and two thousand nine as well. Jeez, but yeah, I feel like I don't need to go into her uh historical impact. But yeah, that was well. It's like continually being made. Exactly. God.
0: Seriously, everyone needs to look up a picture of her right now. She look she looks like she like stepped villain. out of a movie. Well, no, she almost looks like you know, like a like the gal who's telling Bond what to do, like the oh, grizzled yeah. agent who is in charge of everything, but like has a really rich history in the field. And but just I don't know the idea. She came from this pretty privileged area. She went to Yale mm-hmm. and she could have been incredibly successful in a lot of fields right. she yeah. did not have she to probably be going would have been a
1: great anthropologist
0: or you know even just a, a not going into the you know war zone journalist right but but she really saw the importance of that. And I do feel it takes a a certain kind of person to go to war and even into report on war in this capacity. And she was, I'm glad there are people like that. I'm glad she was willing to do that. And I'm just, I'm sorry that she laid her life down right in the, in the pursuit of bearing witness.
1: Yeah. And she, she was 56 when she died. She had been married she was married twice to another journalist, the same journalist, um, but both times ended in a divorce. And then she was married to a Bolivian journalist who took his own life in two thousand two. Oh God! Dude, I just bet due it's, to depression and alcoholism.
0: Yeah, I bet this is a um a I profession like quite, yeah. that's wrought with like oh. mental health problems. Well, you said she had PTSD. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So like at the time she had like I said, she obviously wrote that letter to the person she was currently seeing. And like, yeah, so she was currently living in London and yeah, 56 years old. Definitely didn't deserve to die. That's just But she was super courageous and I just like I I found her story and I was like, okay, this like I feel like I this needs to be told. I've covered she's the third journalist, war journalist I've covered.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, the other thing I find interesting is, you know, we're, we're obviously – we're highlighting her story for a reason. Right. But something that she says, and I don't remember the exact quote, but something about, like, I will never understand what the civilians trapped in this are dealing with. So as I, – I, I just want to take a moment. The fear, the anxiety, the stress, and then the feeling of loss that I had throughout that story, that's happening to a bunch of people who – this just happened you, you know this just happened too what was
1: it this quote the... they were just living
0: their lives they were t- trying to take care of their families yeah and they got trapped in a war zone well
1: it's like the the one guy she interviewed the first time she interviewed him like he was just like I had to save my wife and children from the house that the Americans bought oh yeah
0: Gaddafi <laughs> yeah
1: like, yeah, I I think he ended up being a war criminal No, himself. yeah, I,
0: I don't want to feel too bad for no, him, but, but I, like, I understand what yeah. you're saying because that scenario is not uncommon.
1: I think this is the quote you're thinking of. The next war I cover, I'll be more odd than ever by the quiet bravery of civilians who endure far more than I ever will.
0: That's it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, that's... um.
1: You say that, but I know I'm gonna like watch it now. Honestly,
0: that was actually a really great way to transition <laughs> because Emily, who are you covering?
1: this is a fucking this yeah, we, I mean, we could go on and heavy. on about it.
0: Also, when I googled her picture,
1: the day that she died came up, it's the day after my birthday. I also want to say, God though, damn my, it. I just think it's amazing that the city is under bombardment. She died, she and another journalist, a photojournalist, die. And the people of the city that are currently at war, yeah. like come out onto the streets to mourn and celebrate them. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Because she's getting their story out there. But like how yeah, no, like, no. how and I, touching is yeah, that, that that they're like, you know what? She died to cover our story. The least we can do is honor her memory. That just that blows my fucking mind.
0: It, it pulls at my my tiny little heartstrings. It pulls at my everything. It pulls at my sense of being. But yeah, I will.
1: I will also to reiterate the person that died with her was called Remy Ochlik. And obviously, like, I'm pretty sure it was a guy. I guess I never liked him to do it. Um, but yeah, so like she, she it didn't was, die yeah. alone. But hers oh God, the story. He was oh only no. 28. He looks like a baby. So he's, he was a French um journalist. And yeah, he covered Haiti and the Arab rev- revolutions. Yeah. God. Hey, guys. We know times have been tough lately for all of us. And during hard times,
0: it can be difficult if you don't have anyone to talk to or it can be hard to talk about certain topics.
1: Being alone with your thoughts can be isolating. This is why we are sponsored by BetterHelp.
0: BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen to and help you. Talk to
1: your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience.
0: BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist.
1: So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to, thank goodness. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that gives you access to the help that may not be available in your area. You just
0: fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours that is amazon fast then you schedule secure video and phone sessions plus you can exchange unlimited messages and everything you share is completely confidential
1: just like with an in-person therapist you can request a new therapist at any time at no additional charges if you want to talk to someone about your mental health, you can get a 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Herstory. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Herstory. But yeah, so that's Marie Colvin. Emily, bring us back up. Okay, well... Um, at least, us out of this hole like, at least all this
0: at least any uh depressing parts in my story happened like way back because hmm. we're going back to revolutionary
1: USA. Yes, baby. Mine is fairly modern.
0: Yep. So, today I am going to be talking about Mary <sighs> Catherine Goddard.
1: That name sounds familiar. I'm really excited.
0: Well, I did cover a different woman with the last name Goddard. Just like she last was, name she was the one that um, survived that South American expedition oh, where yeah. she was trying to get back to her husband. And she was like the only survivor. and yeah, I'm just was,
1: repeating last names today.
0: Yeah. This is um, also my woman has something to do with journalism. Oh. Yay.
1: <laughs> Kismet as always. Our ovaries
0: are glowing in sync. Always. All right. I knew I felt that the other day. Yes. You thought it was gas, but it was me. (laughs) But it was me. It (laughs) was me. (laughs) Okay. Hold on. Let me, like, recenter myself. Rise from the smoosh. Rise from the smoosh. All right. Thomas Jefferson. John Adams. John Hancock. Benjamin Franklin. Mary Catherine Goddard. These people all have something in common. And in my story, you're going to learn exactly what the fuck that is.
1: I'm so excited. <laughs> that was
0: a great opening. I was very excited about that. <laughs> I also learned something new where I was like, oh, shit, I know nothing about American history. Anyway, Mary Catherine Goddard was born on June 16th, 1738. So she just had her birthday like a little over a month ago. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Mary Catherine. She was born in Connecticut, which wasn't actually a state at this time, but rather an American colony. For shame, One of 13.
1: <laughs> 13 original colonies. I never actually learned that song. That's all I remember Oh, okay. That I'm like, you
0: might have to sing the whole thing for us. Caracas, Venezuela. I know. I'm like, you know Bogota. all their songs. Oh, my God. Can I just say, I, my, okay, so my friend, he went to Bogota, and I was like, I think I was like, oh. Bolivia. And he was so nice and didn't say anything. And it wasn't until later that night I was like, it's Bogota, Colombia, you dumb bitch. <laughs> there's a whole song that you have sang on the podcast. How do you not know this? And so I, the next time I saw him, I was like, okay, I just, th- there's something I need to talk to you about. I know Bogota's in Colombia. I, I think I said Bolivia last time and like, I'm not that stupid. He goes, I noticed I wasn't going to say anything. I was like, well, you're just such a gentleman then. <laughs> but it was like, eight, like at like midnight, I was like, oh shit. <laughs> anyway, what am I talking about? Oh yeah. The American colonies. So we don't know much about Mary's childhood other than she survived it. To get to adulthood, which especially at the time was quite the feat. So, polite golf claps for her. What was adulthood? Like 14? Uh, you know what? Adulthood was <laughs> a little more subjective back then. Um, so, Mary's mother, Sarah Uptight Goddard, was Wait,
1: the, what was the middle name?
0: Sarah Uptight Goddard. Okay. I yes. thought you said
1: Uptight for a second, uptight,
0: but I'm like, <laughs> That was her nickname. Um, you know how they used to name people after weird uh, virtues?
1: Yeah, her, apparently. She was Sarah
0: Uptight. <laughs> She came out of the womb and everyone's like she looks like a pill. The
1: the, the last names are after the father so they're all you know yep. Johnson which literally meant John's son and then yep. and then the middle names are virtues.
0: Yep. It's like wow, this baby just looks like she can't have fun. She's going to be a tattletale that will never let loose. Kelly Bitchy Michelson. That would be my name. (laughs) Emily Inappropriate Jokes and Song Parodies.
1: (laughs) And then whatever your dad's name is. Yeah.
0: So Sarah was a the well educated daughter of a land owning family, and she passed her value. Yeah, she passed her value of education on to Mary, and actually sent her to school to learn reading, writing, math, Latin, French, and science. So that she could just like be a witch. Here's the thing, though: before you start thinking this is super progressive, she's a witch. The school that she went to, uh, there, there was like a public school. That girls could attend, yeah, but figured. they could get one hour lessons after the boys. Yep. So it was like an after it's school like, program
1: for girls. <laughs> there was someone we covered who was a teacher that she volunteered to teach like the one hour. Out of a barn. Yeah, for African-American children. Yeah, that's right. This this was the, the pre-that when it was the women that only got the hour mm-hmm. after school.
0: So her father, Dr. Giles Goddard, was the postmaster of New London,
1: Connecticut. Can I say one thing? Yes. Every time you say Goddard, all I think of is Jimmy Newton. I was just
0: going to say, please tell me that's what you're thinking, because that's all I can think that's of.
1: That's all I can
0: think of. Dude, okay. I actually, I didn't want to like that show as a kid. I was like, this is so dumb. The movie wasn't even that good. But I, the show grew on me. But now every the time movie I see- The wasn't
1: great. The but show
0: was Here's good. the thing. Now every time I see a screenshot from it, I'm like, what? acid-fueled fever dream was that shit? I mean shit? if
1: you've seen screenshots from like Ren and Stimpy dude like, I hated that show
0: I hate it I thought I, I was it was so, so stupid it was stupid but it also like grossed me out in a way that I I'm just like, like
1: oh. if I think of a lot of like 90s cartoons so like Ren and Stimpy cow and chicken or oh whatever, god cow and chicken like all of those
0: I'm like god they were so bad we were kind of I'm up. like
1: i understand now why we are the way we are <laughs>
0: yep yep it all makes sense now but yeah so new london and connecticut was trying real hard to be like old london they even had a river called the thames i'm like stop mm. <laughs> um unfortunately uh mr goddard was struck by illness and became too sick to work which left the family without a source of income because women can't work
1: <laughs>
0: sexism
1: they can only be homemakers. Sexism
0: hurts everyone. So, yeah, Sarah, Sarah sent Mary's younger brother, 15 year old William, to apprentice as a printer. And seven years later, Giles died, unfortunately, and the family moved to Providence, Rhode Island, the smallest of states. But you know what? It's not the size of the state that matters, it's the motion in the ocean.
1: Rhode Island definitely has a lot of that. It's
0: got a lot of ocean. It's got that little peninsula sticking out of there. Like, just saying, Mm. (laughs) Uh, we we all talk about Florida. We all talk about Florida, but we're sleeping on Rhode Island. Yeah, we are. (laughs) So here, the family of three made money uh, by setting up a printing press and published the first newspaper in Providence, Rhode Island, called the Providence Gazette. Good job! And everyone talked in that whole like tin british american voice thing that reporters talked to emily i I don't remember what that was called it was like the british american trans transatlantic accent but they thought it like sounded better on radio so everyone just faked that (laughs) can you imagine a news report going on and like speaking in a fake british accent because they thought it sounded better
1: (laughs) it's super funny watch
0: out for that hitler he's a bad egg (laughs) so um they published the first newspaper. And while William was listed as the printer, the paper was a family effort with Sarah Yay. working as a writer, a business manager, and Mary's printing abilities, which she, I, she must have learned from her brother. I
1: assume so. But
0: she, we know she was a, a skilled printer because she became a printer in her own right. Uh, she was also a skilled writer because, again, she did that, too. She was very much her mother's daughter. She was She's like, I'm going to do everything. She was an everything gal. All right, so let's take a look into what printing entailed because I had to read about it. So now y'all have to hear about it. So back in the day, printing was much more elaborate than hitting control P. A printer would have to work with a large printing press that honestly to me looks like a small guillotine. It's kind of got that same. It's just like
1: the old school where they had to like line up the letters. Yeah.
0: So it was a large wooden structure with a metal plate where the printer would have to set the typeface, and this involved working with a series of boxes that held different letters in them, and then setting the letters of the text that they wanted to print in a composition stick. Yes. And so, like the compositions, imagine like a really big Scrabble tile holder, and you have to like stick the tiles in there. An experienced printer would have the locations of each letterbox hold... Mm-hmm. Like memorize. And so they'd be holding the composition stick with their left hand and picking the letters with their right without looking. So it's kind of like how we can type without looking at the keyboard. Mm-hmm. They just had it all memorized instead. Of, and they would just rely on memory and feel because they could even feel the letters and be like, mm, this. Th- like, do you ever type and you, you like the wrong finger goes to the wrong layer? You're like, that's not right, but you're not looking. Yeah. It's like that, except incredibly more badass because this gives me a headache. So. This is all the more impressive when you remember that the text had to be assembled backwards and upside down because when it was printed, then it would appear correctly. Yeah, I I
1: forget that it, I (laughs) I remembered the backwards part that I, but I forgot it also had to be upside down.
0: Like, I feel like if you were dyslexic, this would have been like the perfect job for you. Right, you're like, this is how I read normally. This everything makes sense right now. So each composition stick served as a line of text. And when the line is completed, it's added to the galley, which is the large tray that holds the type. And after proofing everything in the galley, the printer then evenly applied ink to the type. Too much res- would result in bleeding, while too little wouldn't allow the type to transfer, and you'd be, like, missing halves yep. of letters and words, and nothing would make sense. Like
1: if you think of a typewriter, like, when they, the key yeah. doesn't go all the way down. Yep. Yeah.
0: So the printer then adds a damp piece of paper to the Timpan, Tympan? T-Y-M-P-A-N? Timpin? Timpin sounds fancy. Um, so he adds the paper of the tympan with a frame holding it in its place called a frisket. At this point, I just started cramming frisk it in... Frisket for the
1: biscuit.
0: At this point, I just started cramming in as many funny like printer terms as I could. All I can the- think of now is frisket for the biscuit. Frisket for the biscuit. I actually really like that. I do too. Then the printer turns... The handle to press the type and the paper together, which is called the coffin. We get from being cute to like dark <laughs> because finally they pull a if bar. Frisket called-
1: too much, you get <laughs> in the coffin. Yeah,
0: because then they pull this bar called the devil's tail. <laughs> wow, we went from like like timpin and frisket to coffin and devils. <laughs> like they're so fucking dark. It's because at this they're point witches. in the process, the printer is like they're just so Fuck mad at life. This shit. <laughs> So they press the devil's tail to evenly apply pressure across the coffin. There is more stuff to it. But again, I was like, this is, this is, I got enough funny printer names in there. This is the simplified
1: version because we only have an hour and a half to hour, hour and 15 yes. minute podcast. <laughs>
0: So now, just repeat that like a bajillion times, and you have a newspaper or a book. So, like, I think what they would do is they do this like so frisk it all the time. They had a num like a volume they had to reach, so they'd set one page, print yep. that however many times they did, and then set the next page, do that a billion times. I'm definitely not making the jack off I mean, hand you gesture until I um, it. That's how you work the devil. That's why it's called the devil's tale, Kelly. If you touch your devil's tail too much, you'll go blind and your palms will grow fur.
1: (laughs) Too much frisket.
0: Too much frisket for my biscuit. Never. Anyway, the printing press, (laughs) despite this really long and horrible explanation, was actually a game changer. and It allowed the written word to be more easily copied than by hand. And you can just print a crap ton of the same page over and over much more quickly. Yep. And I think it was, oh, fuck. I should have looked this up. I thought I was going to remember. Who invented the printing press? It begins with a G. G-g-g-fuck. Kelly, look it up,
1: please. There I, am.
0: I remember, I, I, saw a, I saw a documentary It was like the most game-changing invention. Hans
1: Gutenberg. Gutenberg. That's it. Thank you. But in 1450, but no, wait, 1440, but
0: it's argued that the printing press is one of the most revolutionary inventions to humankind because it allowed for the mass sharing of information on a scale that was other previously uncomprehensible. Like we, the internet's a big deal now, but at this time when you relied on people copying things by hand. Yeah. Like, this was a huge game changer, so even I though li- it was a huge pain in the ass. I lied again. So
1: 1440 is when he started inventing it, and okay. 1450 is when he came out with the first Gutenberg Press. That's right. So Mary's brother, William, who
0: who the dogs don't like, spoiler he he's going to be a reoccurring character, so don't don't forget about William William Goddard. He's a thing. So Mary's brother William was impulsive and enterprising. He was very eager to move on to the next bigger, better thing, and he had a habit of moving to new cities and starting newspapers, and then wanderlust struck again, and he would put his mother and sister in charge of the papers he had started, and, and then subsequently away. abandon, and then go on and like do another thing. When Sarah died in 1770, Mary became the sole publisher and printer of her brother's abandoned papers. That sucks. Well, I think she was into it. But yeah, it's, it's kind of like, wow, you just keep starting these things and then you leave me to deal with it when you get bored? So William's penchant for starting and abandoning businesses also left him in financial trouble. And he actually served time in debtor's prison in 1771 Shocker. and 1775. So between these stints in debtor's prison in 1774, William relinquished control of another publication called the Maryland Journal over to Mary while he worked on building a private postal service that would be independent of British control. Because again, these were British colonies at the time, and people are also getting kind of like, kind of salty about the British.
1: Could not throw tea in the harbor, salty. Yet. Well,
0: yeah. Don't don't tell me when the Boston Tea Party actually happened, but we're like.
1: We're coming up on it. We're
0: two years away from the declaration of independence, so we're in that we're in that era. So while William was flighty, Mary was very steady and dependable. She also kept super busy. Not only was she publishing and printing newspapers, she also published an almanac, followed in her father's footsteps and became the postmaster of the Baltimore Post Office Shit. in 1775, along with running her own bookstore, which is actually kind of an addition.
1: Right, that's like in her
0: spare time. Yeah, but it was like an add-on to her, her printing press because she was able to sell the publications there. So, cool thing, becoming Baltimore's postmaster was a super big deal because this meant that she was likely the government's first female employee and for a time, their only female employee because while the United States officially became its own country with the Declaration of Independence in 1776... So so she started out as just like the only like female yeah. employee in general, but then when they officially became we I say they we officially became a country she was the only female employee. Are you okay? Oh God we have a pug in the room. We have a very special guest. welcome, Navi the needy pug. Mm-hmm
1: oh my god
0: that was that was was perfect (laughs) oh my god navi has great comedic timing (laughs)
1: okay you have to be quiet now you
0: mean the pug makes three (laughs) (laughs) okay go back on the floor all right okay continue your story so mary's just like doing all the damn things and if you've been paying attention to the years in our side banter, you know that this is all during the American Revolution. <laughs> we know what's coming. Yep. And actually the American Revolution is happening during this time. It's I think it started in seventeen seventy-five something like that. I looked it up, but I didn't write it down. Uh, I have the general
1: That's like a, a, area. Half of Emily's story today. Well I didn't write it down, but Okay. I'm sorry, you didn't know Paul's name for like three paragraphs. <laughs> So do not even I eventually wrote it down. Don't, Don't even 17, come at me. 1765. 65. 65. When it yep. yep. What? Yep. Uh, March 1765 to January 1784.
0: Shh. Oh, holy shit. <laughs> the more you know, the less dumb you are than Emily. All but right. the
1: Boston Tea Party yeah, when did that go down? 1773. Okay. So, like, shit's really heating up. Yeah. Around the 1770s. I thought the Boston Tea Party happened pre-American Revolution. I thought it was a part of the buildup, up Apparently, too. it happened, like, in what is considered the middle of the revolution. Yeah. All right.
0: All right. So, this is all happening during the American Revolution, when the American colonies were fighting to break away from British rule. Colonists could be broken down to three categories: loyalists who were pro-Britain, patriots who were anti-Britain, and neutralists who kind of didn't give a shit slash were like,
1: I'm just gonna see how this sh- this plays out. <laughs> I'm, I'm just who's winning right now? Yeah, I'm on that side. Or, or like, um,
0: I get it, but also I'm like, mm, I, I I see both sides here, and I'm not really yeah, that sounds right. So contrary to popular belief, like. I feel like when I learned about the American Revolution, it was like the whole 13 colonies were like, fuck Britain, and there was a handful of loyalists. But contrary to- Isn't it
1: more like the opposite? Popular
0: belief, the majority of colonists were not patriots. And while it's difficult to get an exact breakdown, it was kind of like approximately a third were loyalists, a third were patriots, and a third were neutralists. So it was kind of like an even three-way split. Like a peace sign without the peace. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so Mary was definitely a patriot. We know exactly where she stood on this whole thing. She especially took issue with Britain's Stamp Act, which significantly increased the cost of printing because it was like a an extra right? tax yeah. on paper and stamps and shit. So in the Maryland Journal, she advocated for the Patriots' cause. She published reports on clashes between Britain and colonists. Repin- repented. Re- repinterest. She re- She pinned to her Pinterest wall to her Pinterest board. Um, a bunch of, like, really cute hairstyles and wedding dresses and, you know, pl- uh, crafts that she's never actually going to do that you can do with, like, planks.
1: Dreams for her first home.
0: Yeah, you know, just, you know, what she what should eat based on her astronomical size.
1: <laughs> Astro, Astro- astronomical. Astronomical.
0: So she reprinted Patriot papers such as Thomas Paine's Common Sense. Ever heard of it? And wrote her own editorials in support of revolution. So she's the printer, the publisher, and the writer. She's she cr- a triple. She's threat. literally
1: just doing it all. She's, she's like, is fuck everyone EGOT. else. I got this. Yeah.
0: She's like, well, if my brother's gonna sell me with his newspaper that he got bored with, I'm gonna make it my own. And she didn't pull any punches, writing in her June seventh, seventeen seventy-five edition, quote the British behaved with savage barbitry. Or, barbarity. Barbarity, barbarity. Excuse me.
1: <laughs> They're just cutting everyone's hair. Barbarity. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I can't. Ah. You know that was a really badass quote, and I just was like, yeah, but what if I just took a giant dump all over it? <laughs> barbarity. Um, after the battles of Lexington and Concord in 1775, Mary wrote and printed. Those. Right. She wrote, quote, The ever-memorable 19th of April gave a conclusive answer to the questions of American freedom. What think ye of Congress now? That day evidence that Americans would rather die than live as slaves.
1: I mean, I think Congress is a bunch of idiots right now, but...
0: Well... At the time, she's like, "Hey, we need our own Congress yeah, instead of the Brit Britons." No, that that quote definitely doesn't hit the same anymore. <laughs> where I'm like, mm, right now, <laughs> live as slaves. Um, yeah, about that. <laughs> but she's, I mean, she's right. She's making her voice known, which for a woman in the 1700s is it's kind of huge. a big fucking deal. She's running her own businesses. She's the postmaster. Um, yeah, I'm
1: surprised that like she even got. Was postmaster an elected position back then? It was
0: a government job. I don't think it was elected, but you were assigned.
1: That's insane. Yeah.
0: So she also advocated for women-led revolutionary acts, such as the homespun movement, in which women grew and created their own cloth as a way of disrupting the British textile monopoly and the colony's dependence on it. So they were, like, growing their own, I don't know, plants? Whatever you make. Flax. Yeah, actually, flax was one of them. Thank you. Um, and then making their own cloth yeah. because they're like doing this whole American-made thing, so that they can like you
1: know, stick into Britain, into harbor, being like, "Fuck you!" Yeah, just stick it to
0: Britain, however you can. But also this whole idea of like we're we're going to be independent, we're going to create right. our own stuff. So like now, remember that whole private postal service that Mary's brother William was working on. Mm-hmm. That I mentioned briefly. Well, the Continental Congress would adopt it. And it would become the U.S. postal system. I know (laughs) this
1: guy who like couldn't fucking do anything. He couldn't
0: commit to. He did a lot, but he couldn't commit to anything. So
1: fucking USPS. I
0: also had the same reaction. I was like, "Hold the fuck up! Excuse me." This guy who cannot commit to a single project Somehow made, made the usps.
1: <laughs> anyway, uh, Benjamin Franklin, supposedly the most dependable thing ever, yeah, <laughs> was made by a guy who's just like, you know what? I'm bored. History is just wrought with irony.
0: The unsinkable ship sunk on its maiden voyage. This is history. That's true. <laughs> this is why it's fascinating and frustrating. So Benjamin Franklin would become its first postmaster general, and that's around the time, I think, that Mary was assigned the postmaster role of Baltimore. Yep. And then when, you know, the United States became the United States, she became the first U.S., the first female U.S. government employee. That makes sense. Yeah. So now with a postal system not reliant on British control, the Continental Congress decided on January 18, 1777 to widely distribute the Declaration of Independence, which they had signed in 1776, which officially declared that they were separate from England. And Mary threw her hand up and shouted, I volunteer as tribute. I will distribute. I volunteer as tribute to distribute. Yeah. I love you so much. So this wasn't, like, a business decision or even a favor. Being associated with the Patriots in tre- a super treasonous document could land Mary in hot water and just, like, I mean, she could be straight up murdered. I'm just going to say it. She could be murdered and no one would give a shit.
1: I mean, like, two people would give a shit.
0: But, you, like, nothing would be done about yeah, it.
1: N- yeah, there would be no like the British the reparations. The British
0: Army, there would be no repercussions because the British Army would be fully in, you know, finger quotes, their rights to execute someone committing treason against the crown. But Mary didn't give a fuck because she did what she wanted. And she created the second printing of the Declaration of Independence called the Goddard Broadside. Oh. And this was also the first printing that contained the typeset names of those who had signed the Declaration of Independence. And Mary did nothing to hide the fact that she had printed the document.
1: Good on her.
0: Normally, she would credit herself as the printer by including M.K. Goddard at the bottom. I think that was common. You know, like, at the very bottom, it's like, you know, printed by... And she would always sign off as M.K. Goddard. However, in this document that she recognized as having serious historical importance and kind of representing everything that she had been advocating for in her own publications... Right did under she actually sign
1: her real name.
0: Right under John Hancock's signature, it reads Baltimore in Maryland, printed by Mary Catherine Goddard. Oh. Did and I it's not
1: know that? Not
0: hand signed. It's part it's, of the print.
1: It's, it's typeset. But, but she entered still. her
0: own name onto the Declaration of Independence. Yeah, and huge. this made Mary, because female printers were not like really a thing at this time. This made Mary the only woman with her name on the Declaration of Independence.
1: That's huge. I
0: first found out about her because she's often billed as like the only woman
1: to sign it. She didn't sign it.
0: In a way she did, but not in the way that you think when you hear about a woman signing she, she the Declaration of Independence. She to penance.
1: distribute it.
0: Yes. Which is still a big deal. Also, the fact that she used her full name because that was not in- st- yeah
1: <laughs> Instead of just like M- MK, M.K. M.K. Goddard. yeah,
0: Mary Catherine. Yep. So because the burgeoning U.S. government wasn't exactly rolling in cash, they often didn't slash couldn't pay Mary for her printing services. Shocking. Yep. So she supplemented everything with her own money, and she also had to contend with wartime paper shortages that left her printing schedules irregular. You know what, Mary? We get how that is. Sometimes it's hard to publish content on a regular schedule (laughs) because life gets in the way.
1: I was making a period joke.
0: Oh, Oh, I was just making a we joke at our two different unreliability as podcasters. Um, and she also began accepting payment for her publications in the form of supplies like beeswax, flour, lard, and Aww. meat. So girls got to eat. Girls got to eat. Get that meat. Get that hemoglobin up. Get that red meat. So despite these hardships, she was able to keep the paper circulating as well as any other paper in the U.S. That's amazing. On her own. She's the she's like a one-woman wrecking ball Fuck of yeah. journalism.
1: I came in like a wrecking ball to typeset the Declaration. <laughs> Sign my name on the dock
0: and all. Gonna make the British
1: Empire fall. I came in like a wrecking ball of journalistic integrity. Anyway, Mary's, <laughs> and hard, <we're>
0: <laughs> and Mary's hard work and acumen didn't escape uh, notice of her more famous brother, William, who wrote that she, quote, supported her business with spirit and address amidst A complication of difficulties. That's a really nice way of saying it. Um, However, their relationship was not Mm. like peachy keen. Shocking. That that was kind of like the one part where I was like, oh, William. And I went right back to being like, oh, William. Damn it, dude. William was all about the hustle. Of course he was. And about the bigger and the better. So in January of 1784, William decided to reclaim the Maryland Journal which Mary had kept going for all of these fucking years and actually made successful and which he had abandoned and basically been like, Mary, deal with just, this for me deal with this. so I'm I can done. create uspis," And that just happened to work out really well for me. Um, but it's not even that he like came back and took in the reins. He forced Mary out completely.
1: He's like, this is mine now. He's
0: like, you weren't here. Thanks for holding my place, but go fuck yourself.
1: And is of it- course, because he's a man, he can yeah. do that.
0: The siblings began publishing competing, uh, competing excuse me, almanacs, and William used his to directly attack Mary. This got into, like, a modern-day wow. Twitter war situation. He wrote that she had, quote, a hypocritical character. Excuse me, William. Excuse me. <laughs> I have some things to unpack with you. He also wrote that her, quote, double-faced almanac was containing a mean, vulgar, and commonplace selection of articles. Do you ever notice when people are shitty and they say someone else is engaging in the exact shitty behavior they're engaging in? Yeah. I feel like William's doing that. Yeah. I feel like William's being
1: kind of a bitch right now. Yeah. God damn it, William. William's calling Mary a man. Yes. God (laughs) fucking A.
0: Oh, that's a that's a different personal note that I have very strong feelings about. Anyway, it's unlikely the siblings ever repaired their relationship when William got married in 1786 because he found a woman that would actually put up with his fucking bullshit. Like,
1: you say, like, oh, they didn't repair the relationship.
0: I'm like, yeah, Mary's probably like, fuck that shit. <laughs> I actually have a line about that. Uh, So she refused to attend the wedding. Good. Despite a mutual friend writing to her in a letter, like, saying, like, you guys should totally make up. And to that friend, I'd be like you know what, you know what, maybe acknowledge who's the asshole in this situation. And as my next line says, honestly, I'd probably wash my hands of him too.
1: Right, that, that's you don't one of those need things him. that's like, you're not our friend, you're his friend, and you're trying to get me to apologize for something I didn't because do. Because you want me to make peace, so it
0: makes your life easier. Exactly. That's how that's working right now, buddy.
1: No thank you, We're friend. not doing,
0: no thank you, friend. As I would say to the kids at the day, no thank you, friend. No, we don't we don't use those kinds of words with our friends and our siblings and we do not take over their newspapers as unkind, By force. No, thank you.
1: After we gave it to them.
0: God, he just I don't know, like and he doesn't come off well in the story. I didn't do more research into him because obviously he had like a very full life outside of, you know, his interactions with Mary. But he kind of, in this story at the very least, he comes off as this like entitled little prick. And I really feel like the United States Postal Service, I feel like that just happened to work out for him. Right. Yeah. I think it's one of those things. I feel like he got, he was in the right place at the right time with the right idea and it just worked out. But it wasn't because he was, had a particularly great business acumen. Yeah. I agree. You know? So in 1789. Mary was fired from her job as postmaster of Baltimore by the postmaster general Samuel Osgood, who is no good, and replaced with a man named John White. Osgood justified Mary's firing by saying the position required, quote, more traveling than a woman could undertake. So sexist. Oh, 100%. A woman can't do this, even though a woman has literally been doing this while working like eight other jobs at the same time whatever it's also worth noting that john white who was assigned to replace mary was a political ally of samuel osgood god i wonder why that went down i hope samuel osgood was like illiterate and didn't know what male was like i hope
1: i hope he just did the like worst job possible
0: i i hope he was an unhappy person Anyway, to Baltimore's credit, the community protested this decision and over 230 citizens, which included 200 prominent businessmen, you know, whose opinions would actually carry weight during this time, signed a petition demanding that Mary be reinstated as postmaster. They're like, um, she was doing a great (laughs) job. We have issues with this. This is bullshit. Fuck you. And unfortunately, it didn't go anywhere. But I do think that's really nice that Baltimore was like, um excuse like me. me excuse um, me um you don't okay do mary this. like that fuck you do you know she's the only woman whose name is on the declaration of independence fuck you bitch
1: you.
0: <laughs> so mary stayed in baltimore and spent her time running her bookstore
1: oh i want to own a bookstore like living
0: the cutest life she died on August 12th, 1816 at 78 years old, which I'm like, damn. damn yeah. <laughs> and she was, all, all that ink just like preserved her body. She's
1: like, I am one with the newspaper. Yes.
0: Uh, she was buried in St. Paul's Parish Graveyard, and the community of Baltimore, which still fucking loved her, mourned her passing.
1: They're like, you. the city may have done you wrong, but we yeah. still love you. They're like,
0: Mary, you got done dirty, but we love you, honey. Just slap myself in the boob.
1: <laughs> Rise <from> the smush. <laughs> Goddamn flies.
0: Uh, all right, so legacy. Mary is often overshadowed by her brother William, Fuck who nobly created i and like did a bunch of others. Uspice. Yeah, no, actually, okay, don't. Great. Hey, it's not their fault. It's not Fuck their fault. William, let let's hold William accountable for his own shitbaggery.
1: But like, she, I feel like there had to be someone else helping William with uspice. That's what I'm going to go He did,
0: with. so that that quote that I had um about him being like, wow, Mary's, like, really doing the damn thing. He wrote that to one of his business partners. Yeah. So it's not like he was, like, a one-man wrecking He wasn't machine. alone
1: in uspis. Yeah. Um, like Mary in her wrecking ball.
0: But she was one of the most prolific publishers of her time, and a great example of women's part in the American Revolution, which is so often overlooked. And... She's the only woman whose name is on the Declaration of Independence. Fuck yeah, Mary. Yeah. And this isn't like I got a copy of the Declaration of Independence and wrote my name on it. Like she was printing copies at the request of the Continental Congress.
1: During a time that she could have gotten like killed for doing
0: it. (laughs) So I started my story with Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, John Hancock and Benjamin Franklin, Mary Catherine Goddard. They have all had their names on the Declaration of Independence. Weird thing I learned: George Washington's name not on there. I thought it was. I just kind of assumed, but I, I looked it up on like the big list, and I was like, the
1: big list, yeah,
0: the big list. I found on the internet, which is hundred percent accurate. But I was like, where
1: the f- George Washington's not on? Here?
0: I bet he was busy. He was doing shit.
1: He's like, I'm busy running, planting
0: tobacco in Mount Vernon
1: chopping down trees
0: <laughs> and then telling Which the truth about it didn't happen yep chilling out with his hippo teeth his teeth were like made of hippo bone I
1: thought they were made of like wood
0: no that that's the myth but false teeth I back then were made out of like animal like bone i
1: would much rather have wooden teeth
0: um you know remember that woody taste from our last wine no maybe because i didn't taste maybe it. that would be the taste in your mouth forever i don't know but yeah, that is the story of Math- Mary Catherine Goddard, the only woman on the Declaration of Independence. Who was also a fierce patriot who didn't give a fuck and then they got screwed over by her like shitty brother.
1: A ball. Took on the British crown and all. Fuck her brother William y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Cause Mary came in like a wrecking ball. <laughs> so before Miley Cyrus comes
0: at us, <laughs> Kelly, what are you thankful hey, for? That was parody. That that was parody. You can't sue us.
1: I'm thankful for Puglet.
0: I I am also actually very thankful for how well behaved the Puglet is being in here. She's pretty sweet. As <laughs> Kelly's like dropping all of her shit trying to pick the dog up.
1: You can snort again.
0: I love when you pick her up. Oh my god!
1: She's just like whatevs.
0: ASMR puggle.
1: <laughs>
0: Navi doesn't even shit. ASMR puggle. Like, I can just
1: pick her up and she's like whatever.
0: Yeah, but she looks like an insect that got stuck <laughs> on her back because she starts flailing she's her like, arms and ah!
1: she's like, I don't know
0: how this works.
1: Yeah, she's a good puppy. No, I am. I am thankful for my dogs. They've been, they've been good since we lost our other one. A little grim good, reaper. Good comfort. Yeah. yeah now, she, now if you do see her run into the room. Dude, I will panic literally. The fuck out. I will literally
0: piss my pants. Like, I will, I will lose I kinda, all
1: semblance of shit. If for some reason Justin decides he wants to get another black pug, I kind of like don't want to tell you. And then just like be like, let it
0: into the room. You guys are just going to pretend that it's not even there. And you're going to be like, what the fuck is that? Oh my God. Okay. So when I went tubing, there was this girl who was maybe like, I don't know, 11, 12 years old. And instead of being in a tube, she was like swimming down the river. And Why? she was like, I, honestly, like at that age, I would probably do the same thing, but she was like going underwater and then coming back up and she had this like really long, dark hair and then she'd go back down and then come up and I was kind of like keeping an eye on her for two reasons one I'm like "Mm, this is a, a child who I don't know who their adult is and I don't want them to drown but two am I the only one seeing this kid or is she like here to murder me is she like a deadly water spirit did I watch a movie I wasn't supposed to and then someone in the tubing group was like hey, y'all see that girl swimming in the river too, right? I was like, oh,
1: thank God. <laughs> You're like,
0: like, yes. Oh, thank God, because I thought she was like a water spirit that was coming for my soul. Because she was like following us the whole
1: time. I was like, this sounds like a fun group to tube with.
0: It, it was a lot of fun. No, it was very enjoyable. Um, Shit, what am I thankful for?
1: The tubing group?
0: Well, I'm thankful for the tubing group. That was a lot of fun. Um, It's the first time I've met like 99% of those people. So I was a little anxious, uh, but they were all very kind and welcoming and nice. I'm also really thankful for my dad. He's been continuing Uh, to help me with my house stuff. And tomorrow we're going to like pick out grates or get grates for my upstairs. Because right now. for
1: like the vents?
0: Yeah, because um, I don't have vent covers. (gasps) And I'm using these like metal wire shells that I have propped up against the vent holes because my asshole cat Wants is to get like, in the vents. hey, HVAC tubes are so fun to crawl in. And I have had to pull him and out of like, there no. way too many times. I'm like, this is not how my cat dies. And this is not how I ruin my HVAC <laughs> by having to cut it open and get his stupid ass out. So I'm finally gonna get that. So hopefully my upstairs There's, will stop some looking. Really nice ones. I mean shitty. otherwise you could
1: just get like plain I'm just gonna white get plain ones.
0: white, honestly, because it matches. Are they like a lot the big the ones that are
1: like the bigger ones that are like in the wall or yes. the small ones that are in the floor?
0: No. No, they're like the sidewall ones. But yeah, I don't know. Just I, I'm really thankful for all the help he's given me and just even the things he's in like, no, we're gonna do this. I'm like, Dad, I really don't care. He's like, No, this is gonna look good. Like I'm doing this. Yeah. Later. He's like, Emily. I know more than you about woodworking. I'm like, Aww. okay, you do, but I'm also, you got me there. But I also I really just want to be done with this, <laughs> but I don't know. It, it's nice to be able to spend that time with him and everything and like have him be a part of that, yeah, that nice. project and that, you know, he can help me with that stuff Aww. because I get anxious at department or hardware stores because I go in and I feel like everyone's looking at my, at me like an idiot, an idiot because one, I'm a woman two, I'm an idiot. You're not an idiot. Like they're not wrong, but I just feel like it's for the wrong reasons. I don't know about
1: home goods. Does that make you an idiot?
0: Okay, Okay, I'm just saying right now, if you told me
1: self-depreciating. If you told
0: me to decorate a space, I would be on that shit. I had to pick out tile for a house that we're rehabbing for work, and I was like, I got this shit. But when it comes to actual like building and assemble, I'm like, nope, nope, can't do it. I can make it look pretty, but I can't make it exist Abby, in
1: the first place. Abby, I don't know. Now you're touching cords. Oh my Go. God.
0: Okay. We're well, being so
1: good. Let's wrap
0: this up before the pug just like takes out our mics. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of whining about herstory. Like us on
1: Facebook at whining about herstery. Instagram at w a h pod, Twitter at w a h underscore pod. Our website is whining about where you can find some pretty damn sweet Merch including like the pro ast- choice designs that astronomological, astronomical. Our event will be done by the time this episode comes oh, out, it well, will be the first of August. Well,
0: maybe I'll kind of forget, so like just buy it anyway. It's fine, don't worry about it. We're, we're just we'll like give
1: a few extra days. We're
0: just throwing money at this nonprofit. It's fine. Um, also, raise five stars wherever you listen. We have a website, whinyaboutherstory where you I can find that. our merch. Literally just said that.
1: Well, I'm saying it again. We also have a Patreon where you can donate as little as a one dollar <laughs> to get some weird bonus content.
0: Which actually we're recording after this, so that'll that'll get weird. I'll get real weird because we are weird. We've been drinking. Oh, just a little bit. Mm.
1: Just a just, 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 just
0: smidge. Just, 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 no, Kelly. Just no, Kelly. No, sh- just a frisk. Sh- 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 you don't understand how fucking beautiful you are. Because mm-hmm. if you're you not dead, you're sh- 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 so fucking beautiful. All of you listeners are fucking beautiful. <laughs> also, raise five stars if you
1: think we're beautiful or even if you just pity us.
0: Are you finishing off the wine?
1: Just the riesling. You can finish the. Uh,
0: but the riesling was like really
1: good. I know it was.
0: God damn you! But you
1: prefer reds. Ah, uh,
0: not in this case. I like that better. Rate us five stars if you feel bad for me, because Kelly's so mean to me. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whiny About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day. Bye. Bye.